0: On today's episode, The Psychology of Distance Running. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers doing something a little bit different over, well, I have about three installments of episodes um, coming from this new book that I have had delivered to my house. So the book itself is called The Science and Practice of Middle and Long Distance Running, and it's edited by uh, Rich Blagrove, who's been on the podcast, and also Philip Hayes, who I will have on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. And so um, it's it's a great book. It's almost like the um, book form of what this podcast <laughs> entails. It covers like evidence based practice for what for runners and what runners need to know. It's quite science heavy though, so it might be more on the um, health professional side of things. But I've only just read a couple of chapters um, at the moment. It's, it's a brilliant, brilliant book, and so gave me the idea of how about. I, um because I've already planned for for Philip Hayes, the, the editor, to come on to discuss this, how about I spend a couple of episodes reviewing the book or reviewing chapters of the book and then we get him on at the end. And so um, pretty much in the same way that I like to do themes, um, I like to break it up to once a week and then every other episode because it's a it's a bi-weekly show um, have maybe interviews or have someone else. Um, or a different type of topic. And so today we're talking about the psychology of distance running, which is chapter five of this book. Um, Next episode, we're going to have Matt Pendola on to talk about running technique and stacking and that sort of stuff. Um, And then I'll go back to another chapter of the book, then another interview, then another chapter of the book. And then at the end, we'll um, interview Philip. And yeah, it it will, I guess... um, Warm you up to the book, get you more familiar with the book, and then we can have a good, engaging conversation at the end. So um, that's my idea. That's the the idea I've come up with. Hopefully, um, it's a good experience for you. the The book itself, um, it's quite, it's very heavy content. I'll, I might, maybe I'll just open it up now because I plan to read from this book a little bit in this episode. But um, maybe I can just rattle off a few other chapters. And so, part one is the scientific basis of training and performance. So it'll cover things like the um, physiological demands, the biomechanics, overuse injuries, nutrition, and what we're going to be talking about today, like psychology. Um, but then part two covers the training and event considerations. And so we're looking at uh, the, training com- the training portion, like any screening tools or any um, strength assessments that you can do, how you go about um, with training volumes and training, distribution, um, what else here? Looking at gate retraining. Oh, and it has Izzy Moore who I've had on the podcast as well. She um, wrote one of these um, chapters. And who else do I have on the podcast? Um, Rich Blagrove has done a couple, so he's been on the podcast as well. So like I said, it's it's a book that's designed for the podcast. <laughs> and part three covers specific issues and populations like training, monitoring, recovery strategies, Uh, Low Energy Availability, Nurturing Young distance Runners, a couple of those, and um, also Considerations for the Female Runner. Look, it's a great book. And so um, I've got my pen here in the book. We're going to go through today's episode, which is um, the psychological effects on performance and the the, the psychology of distance running. And it might tie in a little bit with... uh, my past episode on um, it was called train my brain for better running performance. And was talking about the book endure and how our, our, a lot of our limitations, our performance limitations are brought to us by um, our psychology. That's we have, um, we're creating a a psychological ceiling for ourselves and that's limiting our performance. That's how we think, how we perceive fatigue, um, all those sort of things. And so, um, it'd be good to listen back to that one if you're interested in this sort of topic. And so um, when we're talking about this book, they talk about the the psychological aspects on performance um, and how it can be explained by how we think and then um, how we feel and then subsequently how we behave. And this chapter itself, like just say, for example, on race day, you have a runner who there's a lot of, like they're at the starting line. There's a lot of people around them. They're starting to thoughts and emotions come in. It might be excitement. It might be anxiety. It might be worry. Um, for an example, you have all these people around you. You start to get worried about your positioning within the race, and then you head out too quickly because of that worry. And later in the race, you're a bit too tired. But not only are you tired, but then you're frustrated. You're frustrated yourself for heading out too quickly and then your performance suffers. Very similar to, I had um, Sean Bearden on the podcast and I think the title of the episode was How to Survive and Thrive in Ultras or as an Ultra Runner. And he had the example of the type of personality that does thrive in an ultra compared to someone who won't go on to thrive in ultras and had the different... Mental or different outlooks of running, and had the example of if a runner was to fall on a trail run um, midway through an ultra, the one who is not going to thrive is the one who's already like in anguish before they hit the ground and they're grasping onto their injury and they're like, "Oh, I knew this. I knew this was going to happen. Like everyone said, it wasn't going to, and I knew it was going to. I knew I was going to injure myself." I'm not like all those other runners that, um, are gracefully, you know, flying by on these difficult terrains. Like I was always destined to fall. I'm clumsy. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this, um, compared to the outlook and the mental processes of another runner who might thrive and they just laugh it off. They fall, they hit the ground, they're laughing. They think to themselves, I knew something was going to go wrong. I know multiple things are going to go wrong today. This is just one of them let me um, dust myself off, let me assess, am I okay? I'm okay considering, um, let's take this as a learning process, I tripped on this because I wasn't paying attention to the ground, let me pay more attention and let's start focusing on the benefits and then they focus on nature, they focus on how good of a day it is and then they're still smiling and they keep running and so they could be identical runners but the, the way they're approaching it psychologically is totally different and then the outcome and performance is going to be a lot better. Obviously you can um, see how those two outcomes, those two scenarios will have different outcomes. And so this chapter covers, it almost brings it into two different sections. So there's the psychological factors that we're going to talk about and then there's psychological strategies that you can use to increase your running performance. And so I'll dive into the psychological factors To start with. And so the psychological factors, they break it into self belief, motivation, and your emotions. And I'll break that um, down and talk about the first one, which is self belief. So it says here in the chapter it is important to note that athletes do not possess a single self efficacy belief. Instead, they are dynamic and also specific. Firstly, when it comes to beliefs that are dynamic, they can and do change based upon the information that is available to the distance runner. For example, beliefs like uh, the beliefs can change based on feedback from coaches, based on performances in races, based on any setbacks that they might experience like an injury. So this self-belief is constantly fluctuating or can fluctuate. Um, And then secondly, although typically focused on the task, if the, be- the belief can also be specific. So not only dynamic, but also specific. So a distance rider may have high belief in their ability to execute a race plan or sustain a tough pace, but lower levels of belief in things like changing that pace or their finishing speed. And so not only can that self-belief be, yeah, dynamic and fluctuating, but it can also be very really tailored to a specific belief. And they break it down into, um, there's a lot of breaking it down and into just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. This chapter, but um, four different types of self belief, and so, or four factors that generate this self belief. One is past accomplishments, and the book goes on to say that this is probably the most powerful component. And so, you gather evidence from your past achievements, or past failures, um, or past attempts at certain things to, I guess, evaluate or come up with your opinion on your ability to execute on tasks. So that's self-belief. And so you have a look back on your past races. You have a look on your past PBs, how your training has gone prior to this marathon that you've entered. Um, any of those past accomplishments, that's what we, we draw as evidence. But the second one is also vicarious experiences. So what others have done, maybe someone in your same running group, maybe a family member has gone on and achieved a marathon under a certain period of time and now all of a sudden that's more attainable, like it's more achievable and that self-belief uh, raises up. The third one was verbal persuasion and this can be verbal persuasion within your own body or others like other runners or other coaches um, generating that own self-belief. And when I heard about verbal persuasion, it made me think about all the talking and communicating that I do with my runners that I work with returning from injury they don't have a lot of self-belief that they can get back to pain-free running or they don't have a lot of belief that if they go out now for a 5k run how they would manage with that injury and a lot of the time it requires a bit of reassurance it requires a bit of um, logical thinking and that can help that runner um, just at least start some small levels of running you can say hey look you're quite strong. You're skipping. You're doing these um, calf raises. You're doing all this in the training in your training sessions, uh, in your strength exercises. These are all the things you're accomplishing. You will. You are definitely strong enough to start running. The injury itself, the tissue capacity, is definitely more than ready to start running. So even if we just start small and see how you go, um, it's going to be one step closer to. Getting you back to continuous running and pain-free running, and so I guess that verbal persuasion can help people with their self-belief when returning from injury. So that was the third one, and the fourth one was the physiological states as um, that can help your self-belief. So that be your perception of strength, that be your perception of fitness, uh, your like pain and fatigue that you appraise um, while you're actually running. So those physiological states can definitely influence that self-belief. So moving on from self-belief, there's also motivation and different types of motivation. that That's a key psychological factor when it comes to increasing or affecting your running performance. And this the chapter goes on to explain that it's not only about the quality or the quantity, sorry, of the motivation, but it's also about the quality of the motivation. And so you might have a ton of um reasons to run or to compete in this marathon you might draw like it's to get fit it's to lose weight it's to set an example it's to um, prove to myself that I can do this and you can draw a lot of evidence from that or a lot of examples that generate this motivation but how good is the quality of those motivational factors and made me think about why I run and what my motivations are and yes uh, I do love what it, like the effects it has on my body. Like I feel great after a run. I feel like I've accomplished something. I, I just get that endorphin hit and just feel good about myself. Um, I do like staying fit. I stay active most days. Um, but I think one of the deeper motivation levels is based purely on this podcast and purely on the population that I spend the most time around. Like I'm constantly talking to runners, talking to injured runners, talking to runners who have um, told me about the benefits of this podcast, listening to this podcast and having a real true impact on them. And that really gets me out running and makes me, I guess, not set an example, but at least know what this whole run smarter philosophy concept can achieve. Um, so, and the smart decisions that I'm making within my running makes it fun, makes it engaging, but also makes me very accountable having, um, this podcast and having a running community that relies on that information. So it's a bit indirect, but yeah, I've based my life around this. And so that's a real deep motivation for me. Um, so that was the second one, motivation levels. And the third just being emotions and like your ability to process or the ability to um, manipulate a couple of emotions. And I do have, I think in this chapter or this section, I did circle off a few things. Yes, when it comes to emotions. So a marathon, for example, can be a roller coaster of emotions where a runner may experience nerves just before a race, excitement during the first couple of miles and frustration or despair in the later stages. Typically when there is a potential for harm, and the athlete does not feel that they have the resources to deal with that situation, they are likely to experience a negative emotion such as anxiety, frustration, despair, and anger. For an athlete, it's helpful to understand what influences their emotions, so having a a little bit more of a deep dive into how that's processed, as these are likely to influence performance. To help regulate emotions, runners have reported using goal-setting, recalling previous accomplishments and just how they feel afterwards using emotional intelligence or a deeper understanding of emotional intelligence and having a pacer is also a good way, a good strategy. These have all been shown to benefit positive emotions within distance running. So a lot of people have fluctuating emotions, but they don't necessarily have control of their emotions or process their emotions. So that's. That's another thing that we need to look look at or assess. And so just to recap that one, when it comes to psychological factors that influence our performance and influence our outcomes, they are self-belief, it is motivation and your motivation levels and the quality of your motivation, and then your emotions. How in control are you with your emotions or where is your emotional baseline? What is your default emotional state? Is it that runner that falls down and is laughing by the time they hit the ground? Or is it the one that's in agony and already focusing on the negatives? Have a, have a little think about that. So that's the psychological factors. And the second part of this chapter, they dive into psychological strategies, which is really cool. It's a real nice practical takeaway. Um, and they break this up into four components as, as well. So the first psychological strategy that we can use is self-talk. And so self-talk can be um, internal dialogue uh, and this internal dialogue can be automatic or it could be strategic. And I've got a couple of um, things to read from this one as well. So first of all, they talk about instructional self-talk and instructional self-talk includes statements that focus on technique or form such as like run tall. You're telling yourself to run tall during the run. It could be tactics, um, say to start steady or like during the race. That's, that's a good, um, internal dialogue that you can tell yourself or how to direct attention. So pay attention to where the course gets slippery in cross country or, um, certain twigs or branches. If it's like a, a trail run, but then you have motivational. So that was instructional self-talk then you have motivational self-talk. So that could be statements. Uh, so statements can be used to facilitate confidence, such as I can do this. And for motivational reasons, such as um, putting in the effort, so try hard or um, psyching yourself up, Those sort of that sort of dialogue. So the effect of self-talk may also regulate the psychological factors previously covered in the chapter, such as um, positive emotions, confidence, and the quality of motivation. So using this strategy can help boost those psychological factors that we previous discussed. So your emotions, the motivation, and your self-belief. How many people would you know, not feel that confident halfway through a marathon and then all of a sudden you start having this internal dialogue telling yourself, I can do this, I feel strong, um, I feel fast, Um and then just drawing on those past emotions. And then all of a sudden, you have tremendous self-belief and you just get this extra kick. So it can be really, really um, crucial. And so this is just a a nice strategy. Um, And they say, and finally, when developing self-talk statements, it's useful to keep them brief and memorable and to ensure the statements feel right for you and have a motivational and instructional purpose. So we're being smart about the self-talk statements that we're giving ourselves and sometimes a statement that might work for someone doesn't work for another. So you might hear of like top athletes that constantly tell themselves a mantra over and over and just doesn't resonate with you. So try and find ones that really do resonate. The next one is imagery. So that we're still onto psychological strategies now. So self-talk was one of them. Imagery is the second one. And so using when you practice this imagery, I think we we all kind of know what imagery is, but um, they they do recommend that if you are to use imagery, using all the senses to recreate or um, create an experience in your mind. So if you use multiple senses, such as what an athlete sees, what the athlete smells, how they feel, what they hear. Um, For example, if a distance runner is preparing for a marathon or something, they smell the fresh air, they hear the crowd cheering, they feel their legs like striding strongly. Uh, For using as many senses as possible, the athlete can imagine the upcoming race and they can reflect back on previous races as well um, or training sessions. And so the more vivid it is, the more senses that you incorporate, um, the more effect that this imagery is going to have. And so um, at the end of the chapter, they say finally, uh, images designed to, they, you can find images to induce relaxation or increase arousal. It can be used by the athlete to reach their ideal race performance state. So if you're more of the anxious side of things, you can use imagery to calm yourself down. Um, but if there are situations in the race where you need to be amped up a little bit, you can also use imagery to have the opposite effect. Imagery, just like physical performance, performance is considered to be a collection of skills that can be improved with practice and experience. And so sometimes you might start off and say, okay, I I listened to this episode, maybe I should practice imagery. And then all of a sudden just doesn't work for you. And you're just not getting the same feels, not having the same impact. Um, Just recognize it is a skill. It is something that you may need to practice over and over and over again in order to um, have that practice, reap those benefits and for it to be more vivid. Similar to yoga, similar to meditation, similar to those things. It is a skill-based exercise that gets better with repetition. So strategy number one, self-talk. Strategy number two was imagery. The third strategy that I have in this chapter is goal setting and Most people know what goal setting is, the impact that it has, but um, they illustrate some really key points here. So I thought I'd read it out. So goal setting uh, has constantly been demonstrated as the number one most effective human behavior technique. Across all sports, there's a distinction between three types of goals. There is outcome goals, performance goals, and process goals. Outcome goals are focused on achieve a desired result often at the end of the race, so like where you want to finish within a race, if you want to finish in the top 10, if you want to finish, um, you know, the first in your age group, something like that. The performance goals refers to the athlete's individual performance in relation to their own standard of excellence, such as their own base time. So I want to finish the marathon in under set amount of time. Process goals are concerned with how an athlete performs at a particular skill displaying a a certain technique or carrying out specific strategies such as focusing on foot strike, focusing on posture or focusing on stride length, all those little things. And so it's recommended that distance runners set all three of these goals for motivational purposes with an emphasis on the performance and the process goals to direct attention and positive behavior because it's those performance goals and the process goals that you have more control over when it comes to outcome goals, sometimes you don't have a whole lot of control over what might happen. And we all know when it comes to say um, marathon, say, yeah, on a marathon day, you might want to finish in top 10. And then all of a sudden, you just don't feel great on the day. For whatever reason, one particular, you just don't feel like you have fresh legs. Maybe it's poor weather um, and you just need to reconsider those goals. However, if it's like a, um, a process goal, and you're really trying to focus on, say, form, focus on posture, that's something you have a lot of control over. And so that's why there needs to be particular emphasis on those types of goals that you set. But it's also good to have a whole range of those types of goals. So self-talk, imagery, goal setting was the third one. Our fourth and last one is attentional focus. And so they break this down into a few different types of focus and there are associative focus and dissociative focus and I just put a couple a, a list here of a couple of things that we, we we might need to focus on so the three types of associative focus is active self-regulation so focusing on technique focusing on rhythm focusing on stride but there might also be internal sensory monitoring so focusing on your breathing, focusing on how the body feels. Um, and then the, the last one being outward monitoring. So monitoring the paces, monitoring your markers, monitoring the weather. And this can have a key focus when it comes to, or it can be a, a good strategy when it comes to outcomes. We're only just, this is only just focusing on where we're drawing our attention to, where we're mainly focusing. And it could be a really nice way for a runner To self-reflect because they could daydream. Oh, this is the dissociative focus. So there's two types of those. There's active distraction and then involuntary distraction. So you might want to pick a particular strategy where you want to distract yourself. Maybe um, your legs are getting a bit tired or maybe um, you just want to always focus on how long to go. It's like, okay, 21 k's to go. 18Ks to go, 17Ks to go. And you're really just like, um, it's a bit of negative self-talk. And so you might want to actively distract yourself. So you might want to talk to others. You might want to focus on the scenery. You might want to focus on just other things and that might help your your outcome. Whereas the involuntary distraction can be the scenery. It can be just daydreaming. Um, and it's a little bit of a, you're just not taking that active approach, It's not an active decision that you have made. So depending on where your focus goes or choosing where your focus goes can definitely help your, your running performance and your outcome. So we're still on the topic of, of focusing. So, um, however, focusing too much on bodily sensations throughout the race can increase our perceived effort for a run. So focus on technique can be helpful in situations where the task is difficult or when the runner is fatigued. Conversely, it is important to note that focusing too much on breathing or technique can interfere with automatic running processes and running economy. Voluntary and involuntary distractions can be useful to help distract uh, painful sensations when a runner feels hard, when it, it gets hard for a runner, but this can interfere with running fast and can lead to ignoring warning signals of injury. So to integrate these, um, so I guess they're working out the balance, like it just needs to be a real strategy. You can't just implement it and hopefully it pays off. You need to really choose the right moments to implement these sort of strategies to have maximum effect. To help integrate these attentional strategies, the first step is to become aware of the various demands of the run. The second step is to identify which attentional strategy would be suitable for those demands. And finally, the athlete can draw upon psychological strategies such as self-talk, imagery, to aid switching attention focus during the race, during the run distance. So we can combine a few different strategies here in order to have maximum effect. Um, the final one I have, like the summary within this chapter, I just have a little paragraph I thought was really good. So finally, when... Actually, I might, um, I might do a summary so in this summary, we're talking about psychological factors as the first part. So the, the psychological um, factors that influence our ability to perform, that being self-belief. If you have high self-belief, you're more likely to execute on the task. Low self-belief has the opposite effect. Same with motivation. How good is our motivation? How, what's the quality of our motivation? And then our emotions and our control over our emotions Then we have the strategies. We have self-talk, we have imagery, we have good goal setting, and then choosing where our attentional focus should go. And so to summarize this chapter, they say, finally, we'd recommend distance runners practice using these psychological strategies of self-talk, imagery, goal setting, and attentional focus before and during their runs and training sessions before adopting the strategy within the competitive scenario. This will offer. This will allow familiarization with the psychological strategies, and any modifications required to suit the individual. Uh, the individual runner can be applied before implementing them into a race. And so, it's important to know that it's not just during the race when you're like, oh, "Okay, Brody says I should do imagery. Brody says I should focus on my breathing." You need to know what strategy is right for you, what works well for you, and that comes with practice in training. And like anything, like I was saying with imagery, all of these all of these things are a skill and you want to practice that skill before it comes to game day. Keep that in mind. And so that's um, that's it for the chapter. It was a, a nice chapter that I wanted to include. The other chapters that I do, I might tell you now. So I have strength testing for runners and I have training intensity distribution um, as the other chapter seven and chapter eight within this book. Um, so keep out an eye out for those. They'll be out next week and the week after. And will um, be a nice lead up to our interview with um, Phil. And yeah, so hopefully this episode, um, you've self-reflected a lot, perhaps on past performances. I know reading this chapter, I was having a think about on my past half marathons and past marathons and um, what went wrong for me and how these psychological factors really played a role. And then On the performances I did really well in um, as well as triathlons as well when I did perform quite well how these also influenced uh, the outcome and so hopefully you're doing the same thing hopefully the same thing's going on in your mind and obviously you can get the book the book once again The Science and Practice of Middle and Long Distance Running Um, it took took a while for for it to get delivered to my house Um, I think, I'm not sure where it's shipping from but getting here to Melbourne probably took a couple of weeks um, but I'm glad it's here. It's a, it's a perfect book. It's given me a lot of um, ideas for future episodes and a lot of ideas for future guests I want on. Um, and I know that if you love this podcast, then you'll love the book as well. So if you like reading, um, give it a read. All right, guys, that's it from me today. Uh, like I said, next episode, we'll hear from Matt Pendola, fantastic running coach. And then we'll delve into another chapter of this book. So that's all for me today. And remember, every new insight that you have, Who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes and last but not least who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it i look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your run smarter path